Blog Talk Radio. From the Windy City to your city, courtside, the matchup you've been waiting for. A field of dreams for some and a long ride home for others. Sounding so good through the air, it's like you're right there. Folks, you want to score? People, she's got your game. It's the Maya Kai Show featuring comedian Nikki Braden. She is pretty funny with your host, Maya Kai. Radio never looks so good. Brayden, hope you are ready to kick your morning up to midday. And Nikki, we have quite the show laid out today. I think some good stuff, some good conversation. So everybody okay. should be ready to get in, into the mix. With that being said, not that we should have to remind you, but like you know, I figured we'd stay consistent. How the show is going to unfold today? We always kick off with what's trending, those hot topics and headlines everyone's talking about. That may have a local, national, or international focus. A new segment will wrap up the first hour. Let's get our culture on. And there's a couple different topics. So I think they're interesting that we're going to dive into. Then we'll kick off that 1 o'clock hour with the fringe, those headlines that are trending, maybe just not in your timeline, but we think they're worthy of conversation. And because it is Wednesday, it's time for what with Nikki say where she goes, four rounds, sort of told with your Abby, trying to give wayward souls some real honest advice. And then we'll wrap everything up with celebrity talk and the side eye. That's how the show is going to unfold. If you'd like to get involved, we always encourage you to. You're the reason that we're here. 310-807-5211 is how you can call in and share your opinion with everyone. Of course, if you want to get social with the show, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at the Maya Tire Show. Nikki, how can they connect with you? I am Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter, the Nikki Braden on Instagram, and the chat room is wide open. Come in with your conversation. That's right, and safe for entry. Of course, as you know, we are on with you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you happen to miss any shows because you're at work and maybe you can't tune in, I understand. You can always find all of our shows either on the Blog Talk homepage or you can go to the iTunes store in the podcast section. Just search Maya Kai Present or make it simple. Just go to my website, mayakai.com, and voila, all the shows are there. Also, Nikki, if people want to check out what you're doing on a regular basis, your website is up and going. What's your website for people to check you out at? It is up and going. It is NikkiBraden.com. I have a couple little pictures to add, but other than that, we're up and going. So go stop by. Check it out, NikkiBraden.com. There you go. So another way that you can connect with Nikki. All right, so. Let's go ahead and get right into being consistent. We are celebrating our Pisces brethren, which means somehow your birthday yes. falls between February 19th and March the 20th. So what is in store for Pisces? Okay. People in your social circle seem to be playing a game of follow the leader today, and the leader is you. Suddenly, everyone loves the music you're listening to, is dressing the way you're dressing, and talking about the stuff you're talking about. All this limitation is probably not conscious on their part, so don't feel threatened or mocked by the act. They just admire you a lot more than you realize. So now that you know they're paying attention, give them something good to follow. Bow down, bitches. All right. no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> So basically nobody. <laughs> wow. That is not a good company to share your birthday with today right. on March 9th. Either way, you're born this day, so that makes you so awesome. So 
It is what it is. Yes. You can't always have somebody off. Happy birthday, birthday, Denise Thomas. That's actually my friend. So she's she's a good company. Happy oh, birthday okay. to her real quick. Yeah, Denise. Denise Thomas. All right, wait. Is this also the individual who's fantastic son signed? Yes. With yes. the Iowa Hawkeyes quarterback. He did not sign. He just went. He he hasn't made up his mind yet, okay. but he is he is looking at Iowa two quarterback. Yes, that is her son. Yes, Cam. All right, so we'll our eyes peeled on that development. All right. Okay, so mm-hmm. let's go ahead and get into what's trending. If everybody remembers last last year that the horrific event, even though shootings around Chicago happen on a weekly basis, and I think people, Nikki, are kind of numb to it, on November yeah. 2nd, the killing of Tyshawn Lee, which was that nine-year-old in the alley, literally mortified people. It paralyzed the city, and it was shocking all in a way that I was surprised that people were like, oh, no, because this isn't the first time that a minor under the age of 12 has been shot in the city of Chicago. But everybody felt it was an execution-style shooting right. because of his father right. having some potential or alleged gang ties, and it mortified the city. It brought people together. And I will say this is the one time that it seemed like the Chicago Police Department got right on type of investigating, taking leads, and very quickly actually had arrested three men well, we found out yesterday that formal charges have been brought against somebody. Let's listen as Anita Alvarez, who's a state's attorney, talks about the charges brought against a man in regard to the killing of Tayshawn Lee. As you know, a second defendant has been charged with the murder of Tyshawn Lee. This defendant, Dwight Boone Doty, also known just as Doty, has been charged with the murder of Brianna Jenkins, and the attempted murder of Deshari Bowen. As you know, I have been a prosecutor here in Chicago for nearly 30 years, and I have tried hundreds of cases involving senseless gang violence and gang-related homicides on the streets of Chicago that involved unspeakable acts of rage and violence. But I must tell you today, I don't think I have ever been more disgusted and appalled by such inhumanity This intentional murder of Tyshawn Lee is among the worst that I have ever seen in my almost 30 years as a prosecutor. So that was Anita Alvarez, who is, I want to say, the embattled state attorney, (laughs) who people really put her on the chopping block for how she handled the Laquan McDonald case. And for me personally, I felt like there was some shameless self-promotion in her talking Mm -hmm. about the charges being brought against Dwight Boone Doty, 22 years old. That happened on Monday. I kind of feel she's trying to use this as a lobbying for her reelection, which the process begins in March. And I believe that she's trying to put some balance out there. Like, okay, so I I might have handled the the Laquan McDonald case wrong. But one thing I did do is not miss the buck on this. But to me, it's very disingenuous because how could you not have done it? Um, All eyes were on you. So I kind of feel like she was plugging herself in this press conference. But what's interesting about Dwight Boone Doty, who's 22, who was charged Monday, how they came to tie him to this arrest, he's now the second person being charged with the murder of Tyshawn Lee, is that he actually was charged with two people two weeks earlier, the 19-year-old woman who died of wounds that they mentioned in there, as well as a 20-year-old male. And she mentioned that in talking about the arrest, how it tied to Tyshawn Lee. So... It was more of probably looking at ballistics and some other things that tied him to to the murder. And it's interesting because Tyson Lee was part of 400 homicides in Chicago last year. But to me, it was his death that for some reason woke people up and then they instantly went back to sleep. 
until Laquan McDonald. That happened, like the videotape release. So it, it's really, I mean, I think it's great they have someone in custody, and it was great to see that Chicago police acted quickly and swiftly, and there's somebody in custody. I look at this man, and I still say, Nikki, no matter what your your cause is, how do you look at a nine-year-old boy, a four-year-old? I player, don't. I don't. And pull no. a gun and shoot them. I don't care who you're working with. I don't care what the agenda is. I don't know how you possibly can do that and sleep at night. My, it, they were saying they're saying that he planned initially to cut his fingers off and hit his fingers and his ears off by luring him in the alley. But then I guess he just decided to shoot him. What are you? Are you kidding me? Cut okay, the baby's um, fingers and ears off? Like that was your? I mean, come on. I mean, this is. I can't even. How you could possibly be human and do that to anybody, let alone a nine-year-old baby that has nothing to do with anything? I don't know how you can be a human and do this. Sickening. It is sickening. You know, regardless whether you're you're cutting off appendages or you're shooting, the fact that you can bring yourself to yeah do that to a child. If you have an issue with his father, and you know, we found out actually when Jason Coyden Palmer, who is a freelance reporter for the Chicago Crusader, came on and really dug deep into this, like you know, with with ear to the street, is that this execution. The reason they really turned it that way is because how much it was researched and planned. That there were respected right. children in the school with Tyshawn Lee that gave information to the individuals involved and ultimately killing him. So they literally tracked this down and figured out who he was because of his father and figured, we're going to send a message to you by obviously killing your son. It was, it's just a sad case. You know, the, the three other individuals involved in this is Corey Morgan was identified. Kevin Edwards is another issue, a person who was identified with this as well. I, to me, there's not enough jail time in the world. It's that not. can account for this atrocity. This is what I honestly want the death penalty to be in place. Now, some people would say, mm-hmm. well, isn't it better that they just sit here and they just have all this time to think about it? But I'm like, why do they get to take in air is, is what I, right. how I feel about that. Why should the state have to pay to keep them alive? That's what I'm saying. I don't want to pay for them. I don't want to pay for them to eat. I don't want to pay for them to do anything. I don't want to pay for them to do anything. No. If there's any real honor among thieves, when these individuals land in jail, they always say that, Crimes against the elderly and children are deemed to be unacceptable as a code that you don't do. If there's any honor mm-hmm. among these individuals, I hope the minute they step into prison, and I, I just may sound callous and just extremely crude on my part, I hope they are immediately beat to a pulp, made to suffer. And oh, they are going to be. I, oh, they are absolutely just, going to be. This, how, they, how they killed that young boy, I just, no empathy, no, no conscience. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you even can walk around and just, I don't, I don't gather, but this is the same what we're seeing in this, in this country, in Chicago. We're seeing these senseless killings, and that's telling you, behind the eyes, people, there is nothing there. It's empty. There is no mm-hmm. connection to the value of life. There is no connection for their own. So if I don't value my own life, how in God's name of can course. I value someone else's? But normally the elderly and children and women used to be off. Off, you know, it was out of bounds. Oh, to deal with those individuals. It was cold. You didn't, you didn't mess with children. You didn't mess with women, and you didn't mess with old people. It was a absolute code. You just did not do that. You did not do that. And now. It's no. literally, it's nothing is, is out of bounds, and it's, it's sad and it's unfortunate. But, yes, that's what we fail to kind of address when we talk about the violence, like what's really going on. Something else that's going on in Chicago, and Chicago seems to, this, they recently just celebrated a birthday. What was it? What did I say it was? 100 and, 
something crazy, like 48 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something years. Chicago had a birthday, no, 80-something. Um, it's embattled in a lot of issues culturally, socially, and economically. And one of the stories that we have been following for quite some time is how Chicago State University, with the state budget not being passed and them not receiving some of the MAP grant dollars they need to stay open because public dollars are a large part of their budget, they're facing closure mm-hmm. after being open for 148 years. So we know that they have removed spring break so they can complete this spring semester for graduating seniors. They also are honoring, at least through the spring, the athletic department issued their statement that they will honor their spring sports, which means obviously until that ends, they, that will stay in place. Um, they also, a letter was issued to employees for a potential layoffs, which I'm sure, Nikki, most of them anticipated that a layoff yeah. could be around the corner for some, if not all, if everyone, beyond if they can find dollars to stay open in the summer and so on and so forth. So now it's been released and talked about that a fundraiser effort is being put into place to try to raise $10 million for Chicago State and Reverend Anthony Williams is a person who is orchestrating this effort, is trying to help them deal with their financial woes. Can I just say, I, Nikki, in my mind. Yeah, that's one hell of a bake sale. I don't know what anything they I don't care. This is you, one hell of a bake I'm sale serious, they get ready to have. If you, <laughs> if you bake sale, I don't care. If you tag date. Car wash. Um, you can what are they going to do? <laughs> you can go fund me. I just don't know. You're not getting $10 here's, million. Here's my initial thought to this. So, but here's the thought I'm having. $10 million is, is, is not the answer because from what we heard, it was taking $5 million a month to keep the school open and operating. Right. So $10 million only extends you out, what, maybe through the summer? or And why would you dare start fall if, if, the, if the budget has not been approved by Governor Rahner? So I'm saying $10 million is to me is not the answer. And part of what I talked about with individuals as the story has evolved, and we talked about this with Jason Corden Palmer when he was on, that as a student, you may love Chicago State and want it to be your alma mater, but realistically, you have to make a hard they decision had to let it go. now, yeah, they, not yes. later. And one, remember when yes. Jason mentioned that you have some, some schools in Indiana and Michigan that are willing to offer those students in-state tuition, though they are out-of-state residents? So if I am a student at Chicago State, even though my intention was to complete at Chicago State University, it's about my academic career and me being able to finish if I'm a freshman, sophomore, or junior, or a senior that needs a couple more credit hours to finish, I'm probably going to transfer somewhere else, not because I want to, but it's a matter of making a choice that's best for me. So what happens to the fallout of losing those loan dollars that are coming into the school? This really, to me, it balloons into a bigger issue that I don't think everybody's really looking at how this is going to impact them on so many levels. So a bank sale, <laughs> I'm sorry, is not it's it. Like they I can't do it happens. right. You know, I don't care how many fried crispy treats you you make, and those are the bomb. I love, I like homemade rice. I really do. But I'm not. We're not going to be funny about this. But what I haven't heard, Nikki, at this point, which I think is really odd, is nobody has really appealed to the alumni for help, unless I've missed that appeal. I mean, Jason Quinn and Palmer, I, mean, which I know quite a few people that went to Chicago State. So what you should be asking for, if we have alumni that are successful or can donate anything, or if you have any influence to help us to bring dollars into the university, to create grants and endowments, will you please step forward and help us to make this matter? I haven't heard that call to action from alumni yet, unless I missed it. I I mean, I don't know if they did. I don't know. 
I hate this for these kids. They're going to have to make a decision, but at this point, it's like grasping at straws. I'm like, it's not going to work. You need way more than $10 million to keep this school up and running. So all you're doing, if you do sell enough cookies to raise $10 million, you're just buying time until what? When that runs out, like in what, a, a month or two? You know what I mean? It's then now what? Now you gotta now you gotta do another car wash. I mean, just let it go. It's it's done. Let it go. It's closing Working down. You grasping at straws. Move on. Move on. I mean, I just and I'm not making I'm not making light of their situation because I want I am, them to find a way because it's over. Open. Just it's over. Because I do. Here's the thing. I do like when Jason talked about and he's alumni and how Chicago State worked for him and him working through his academic kind of struggles sure. and obstacles, how it was an environment that was conducive to him. We just talked on Monday about how at the University of Connecticut, how they have to create, um, they're swaddling their young black men in a program because they feel like without being swaddled, they can't survive. Well, here you have a school like Chicago State, honestly, Nikki, where you don't have to swaddle any of the students because the environment is in the hood. For them Everybody's from successful. there. It's in the hood. Actually, but you know what? Chicago State actually began to recruit outside of the African-American community, and actually they have quite a variety of other ethnic groups that go to school there, which I have no problem. I know they do. It's not an HBCU as most people thought that it is. But to me, they have to step back and think bigger about if you're going to stay open. Small fundraising events are only a short-term fix. It's a Band-Aid on a gaping wound that you have. And here's here's the reality check you better have had. You can no longer call on state funding because that gravy train, for what it's worth, is over. Because as long as Bruce Rauner is in office, and what we're talking, he's got three more years to be in office, that those dollars are not going to flow to you easily. And he's already scrutinized in the past misappropriation of funds and the mismanagement of the organization or the university with itself. So you have to come up with a long-term goal. And $10 million is not a long-term goal, unfortunately. It's not the answer. It's a drop so in the bucket. So it's, it's and over. And to figure yeah. out. You better go ask some celebrities. You better appeal to Derrick Rose for a larger endowment. Endowments are the way to go, folks. That's what big universities know what to do is go get endowments. You, matter of fact, maybe you should reach out to Mark Zuckerberg, who's taking part of his fortune from Facebook, and he wants to invest it. So maybe you could create a tech program. I'm like, you've got to think outside the box for these dollars is all I'm saying. And just getting $10 million, it's not it. It's not it. And they got to – I want the doors to stay open, but somebody's got to think bigger than this. Talk about thinking bigger and how people will take dollars to get what they want. By now, everybody knows that state rep Ken Duncan is under major scrutiny for what people are accusing him of paying for votes, roughly about $50 per person who allegedly strolled into his office and would commit to vote for him was given $50. And this this story was broke wide open by a complaint that was lodged first by Alderman Pat Dow. And she, she supports one of Duncan's opponents in the Democratic primary, so as it stands, she's not a, a Duncan person. But he's under heavy scrutiny, and it went as far as people put in, I guess you could say, ghost voters, how you know you have you know, ghost shoppers, those kind of things. They sent yeah. people into his office and videotaped the interaction with staff in Duncan's office paying in $50 bills for you know, their vote. So there is documentation whether he can say it wasn't his doing or not, he's under heavy scrutiny. I don't oh, know Chicago. why you would not. Why would you not think that 
you know, maybe somebody is not going to be genuine and taking this. I mean, first of all, what if you give me $50 and I'm like, ha, I'm not voting for you. I mean, you can't. You can't. I'm like, why can't you figure that out? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm like this. I don't understand it. And don't you think that maybe somebody <laughs> might be like the mole? You don't know who you're giving $50 to? I don't get why people do that. Why are we so corrupt? Like, just why can't we do things on the straight why. and narrow? I'm with you on this. Why do people think they're getting away with something? In the age of social yes. media and technology, if someone, first of all, you don't, the person coming into your door, you don't, you don't know anything about them. So you Thank don't you. know if they've been sent in to be a mole to expose Right. You. So I don't understand why you would just shell out $50 bills to people that you have no idea who they are. Not to mention, how do you know they're going to cast a vote for you come March 6th? That's what I said. I'm like, I'll just be like, hey, I got this free $50 and I'm not voting for you. How about that? I mean, you, that doesn't guarantee the vote. This is what I don't understand. Now you're in hot water for stupidness. This is just stupid. Well, I'll tell you what. This is stupidity at its finest. Ken Duncan is trying to work against this, you know, because he's trying to get reelected for his fifth term. And, you know, in Illinois – Buying votes is a class four felony. So yeah. it's not just the fact that you want to get reelected. Now you're trying to stay out of jail. So he's launched this campaign that I've seen on TV about people trying to discuss what he has done, and he's a person of integrity. But to me, if they've got documentation in form of a video of your staff paying somebody, either you're going to get a fall yeah. guy yeah. or something is going to unfold. So keep your eye posted to see how this story unfolds because um, – I'll be curious. A class four felony is not to be messed with in any way, shape, or form. All right, everybody, you're tuned into the Maya Kai Show Unplugged featuring comedian Nikki Braden. We're going to take a quick break and come back and keep talking those headlines and hot topics in the What's Trending segment of the show. We'll be right back.
As you know, welcome back to the Maya Kai Show of Plus, featuring comedian Nikki Brayden. I was like on a roll there for a minute, just all my own little world. <laughs> <laughs> I was, and it was fantastic. Anyway, I was like, hello. The I was like, hello. Right. Nobody can hear you. <laughs> portion of the show, talking about hot topics and headlines that are trending local, national, internationally. We started off the show with some Chicago topics. That's local. We're going to switch gears and talk about some national headlines out there that people are talking about. So as always, you're welcome to join the conversation, 310-807-5211. The chat room's open, and you know where to find us on social media. So let's go national. We live in a society, Nikki, where everybody is just too happy. And this next story I said, you know, $95 million is a lot of money, especially when you say you've been tased by law enforcement. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking this guy knows that right now the country is very sensitive to the culture of law enforcement and how they treat citizens. But when you hear yes. this story that comes out of Virginia, you kind of say to yourself, that's unfortunate, but I'm trying to figure out where the $95 million plays in this. Take a listen about this guy. Who has, um, a with the Chesterfield Police is now suing the officer for $95 million. I'm Julie Bragg. And I'm Rob Zier. Thanks for joining us here at 5 o'clock on this Tuesday. His attorney says after 35 surgeries and about eight months in the hospital, Miles November has $6 million in medical bills and he won't be able to work again. Chesterfield Police say November crashed his car in February of 2015 after leading officers on a chase. And he was tased when he struggled with one of them after they pulled him from the wreckage. November is charged with assaulting an officer, eluding police, driving with a suspended license, and third offense DUI. He's set to appear in court on May 19th. All right. So let's, let's put this in perspective. I am intoxicated. I am speeding down the road. My car rolls over and bursts into flames. Police arrive, are able to get me out the vehicle. I then resist arrest, the point where they have to tase me, which then results into some various health issues, and I believe, based on my behavior, that I allegedly can no longer work, that I should be given $95 million. See, this is the disconnect with me with people. I'm, I'm confused on this. Like, why? I, at first I thought, because the way the article read, it said, man sues for $95 million for being tased after he was... So I thought they tased him and he burst into flames. That's what I thought. I was like, that was, I, I thought, thought they tased him and then he, and he burst too. into flames. And then now you read, I'm like, this makes no sense. Because I was going to say, police better be careful. They're going to have to fundraise, too, because $95 million is a lot. They're going to run out of money. They're going to fundraise with Chicago State. But then I read the article. And I'm like, what is he talking about? This makes no sense. I don't even know how this is a lawsuit. Yes. You know what $95 million is? Ask for more than you know you would ever be awarded by a jury. But I would be honest, sure. this is actually probably, I don't ever need to be on a jury of anything like this because I'm instantly like, throw this crap out. Because first of all, yeah. you broke the law on multiple accounts. Technically, they yes. might have saved your life by pulling you out of right. the car. Maybe they should have left you in there since you're now acting like, you know, a jackwagon about this. <laughs> but then they get you out, and because you're intoxicated and probably and somehow just very disoriented, they have to tase you to subdue you. Now, I, I understand right. that's unfortunate they didn't shoot you. Now, I mean, seriously, right. it went a whole other way sure. that we've seen police oh, yeah. respond in ways we think is inappropriate. But because, unfortunately, you now have health issues, which could have not just been from the tasing. It could be compounded by the fact that you were in it. You thought it was a fiery crash. You wrapped around a tree, fool. You, <laughs> you wrapped your car, car around like, a tree. <laughs> right. You might have sustained those injuries 
more from the accident than you did from the tasing, not to be, you know, yes. sensitive about it. And somehow, see, this turns into let's, let's jump on the wave that everybody, there's this anti-police sentiment going, and somehow maybe I can cash in on this. That's how I see it. But, it, but it's so yeah. ridiculous. And the actual, you write the headlines, I thought he caught fire when he was tased. I was like, wow. That's right. A new, that's a new, um, you know, kind of uh, effect coming from being tased. You know, you're catching on fire, which in theory, maybe it's possible. But honestly, this is a waste of taxpayers' dial- dollars if this even has to go to court, that it has to be litigated in any way, shape, or form. Because if he wins any money, I'll be like, sky is the limit for just absolutely yes. ridiculous lawsuits. It's going to be my mindset. Sky is the absolute limit. But when I heard that, I was like, so let me get this right. You have a DUI. First of all, you should be in jail. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. Yeah, so this is like, the fourth one, third one. Yeah. Monthly yeah. counter charges coming for you, operating a vehicle under the influence. I'm sure you damaged public or private property. I'm seeing a string of things here that he should be behind bars right now. He shouldn't even be free. I don't care if he can't work again a day in his life. He created that situation for himself, and he could be dead opposed to walking around and breathing. He should be thanking the police, you know, not necessarily looking for $95 million. I don't know. Right. I don't know. You got to scrutinize people. And talk yeah, about scrutinizing odd. people. The only reason I'm talking about this is because I'm going to be the devil advocate on this story because I believe if you change the individual involved in this story, it becomes bigger than life. So we know at one point of time, Maria Sharapova was really like, you could say, the tennis rival of mm-hmm. Serena Williams. You know, the Russian athlete was deemed as, you know, she had many endorsements because, you know, she was tall, she was blonde, she was everything that the tennis world could market and was behind her. And in 2012, was a, you know, was really a big, a big moment with her and Serena Williams. Well, recently it's come out that she tested positive from Aldonium, which she was recently tested during the Australian Open. And WADA, which is the organization that manages the WTA, the World Tennis Association, for drug infractions after testing, because I don't think people realize athletes get tested before each of these tournaments they go into. So she tested mm-hmm. positive for Meldonium, which is a drug that is not allowed by the WTA. So instantly, obviously, people are like, oh, my God, you know, Sharapova had a positive drug test. But she came out and discussed that the drug, which she was taking, was not known as meldonium, was prescribed by her family doctor, that she had been battling things like some diabetes issues. And according to her, when she took the drug, to her knowledge, it was not on the banned substance list that she wasn't able to take. So she didn't know that she was taking something that was not going to be acceptable, and she took some accountability for it and said, I took it, it was prescribed by my doctor, and I didn't know that it was not allowed to be taken. Now, Serena has taken the Holly Road and has just said, you know something, I, I, I give her credit for taking responsibility. What more can she do? She didn't win the Australian Open, so why is it so controversial? Right. I think that is such a high road for oh, yeah. Serena to Serena. take during a press conference that happened on Tuesday. But what I think is interesting is that, honestly, I swear to God, Nikki, if this had been Serena Williams, I know. the media would have been consumed with, see, she abuses drugs. Yeah. This is why she's at the top of her game. I don't even know, and what they didn't discuss, what meldonium does for you as an athlete. That's what I was wondering, that it has to be banned. What does it have to do? Right, so I was like, I wasn't sure what it did as a drug that it would be banned. 
But what I think is interesting is there was some coverage on this, but I just really didn't feel that the amount of scrutiny that Sarapova got is equal to what Serena would have got. But I'll tell you this. Oh, absolutely. See, I think this is a matter of circumstance. She has since lost three of her sponsors with Nike being one of them. I said, but let me say this. Often sponsors look for reasons to sever ties with you because Sharapova is not what she used to be. She's not, you know, really a highly ranked tennis player. She's still with a, a notable, respectable amount of people looking at her that way, but she's not like, let's say she was in 2012 or 2010. She's not that marketable athlete like she was. So sometimes I think right. that sponsors look for reasons to sever ties with you, and anytime it's doping involved, instantly, oh, right. we can't accept that. We're severing ties. So I just think that was an easy exit for the three sponsors at Leffer. But I, I give her credit, but here's my other scrutiny of this. And Capriati was like, mm-mm, nope, nope, you know that. that's <laughs> cheating. It's cheating, and it's not okay. Here's, what, here's my thought if I was an athlete. Before I would take any drugs, seriously, I wouldn't just run it by my doctor. I would go to WADA that manages it and say, my doctor wants me to prescribe me this drug. Is this acceptable? Is this a banned substance? Before I took anything, it could be Flonase. And I'd be like, can I take Flonase? I know it's not yeah, on the list. Yeah, you know, I, I know. Sure I, probably that would be a smart thing to do, but then you're probably thinking, like, if it's for diabetes or, like, I would never make the correlation, like, this is some, like, enhancing drug that's going to alter my game or, you know, like, affect, you know, how I play in a way that it would be. I wouldn't think that, like, for diabetic reasons. It's not like a steroid or, well, you know what I mean? Well, so she probably didn't could, even think to ask that. I'm trying you know to figure what? out what meldonium is. For diabetes, as well as she had a history of a regular heartbeat. So you are talking uh, about a drug that probably you probably scrutinize a bit. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know, like I said, it could be Flonase. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but because those lists are modified, they leave it on the onus, on the, re- the responsibility on the athlete to do the research yeah. to make sure they're not taking a banned substance. And so to me, even though it was prescribed by her family physician, your family physician is not in the business of making sure you're not violating any drugs that you're not supposed to take. That's considered to be, you know, a performance-enhancing drug or doping or anything like that. That's why, to me, you should have just an extra layer of your agent and some other individuals that research that for you just to make sure that it's okay, you know, and then and go from yeah. there. And then here's the thing. If you take something and it turns out, opposed to later rather than sooner, then say – Hey, I'm I'm submit I'm taking this drug. It was prescribed by my family doctor. In fact, I'm surprised that there is not a rule by most, let's just say, sporting leagues that anytime you're prescribed something by your family doctor, though you consider it to be privacy, we encourage you to submit it to whatever organization, whether it's internal or external, that monitors banned drugs, just to make sure that you're not taking the wrong thing. And then at least at that point in time, once you do that. If you didn't know, they'd be like, well, technically Maya did report that she was taking this for family doctor, FYI, mm-hmm. this is a banned substance, you can't take that. So then at least, to me, it gives you a safety net. I mean, I just think, because yeah. I think if they keep expanding the list, you just right. If they keep expanding the list, you may not know what's on the list all the time. Exactly. So because this is this is your job, just like a drug screen can get you in trouble at any job. I, it's, it's a safety precaution I think you should just take to make sure everybody's communicating properly. I don't know. This is something I think. Yeah, CYA. So, but, but I think the key thing is, had this been Serena, I don't think oh, yeah. people would have been nearly as kind about absolutely what the drug is for. I think that people would have been all over Serena as being a cheater, 
see, that's why she's able to do this mm-hmm. because she's, you know, taking banned substances. I just think that people would have been relentless on her because they look for, look, they already body shame her. As it is, right. You know what I mean? So if somehow you can attribute to her performance to being exceptional because she's cheating, then I think, I don't think that they would have been as gentle on her as I think people are being on Sharapova. I just think they're going, it could be maybe because they don't feel she's relevant, but I just think yeah. that it's a lot of bias to it. That's just me, my perspective. Talk about bias. Final story in what's trending. We talked about, on, was it Monday or Friday, how Erin Andrews is in her, her civil trial against a man who recorded the video on her and then released it on the Internet. But she's also mm-hmm. suing the Marriott Hotel where she said she felt there's a level of responsibility. Well, remember she was going for fifty for fifty five million. Here's what's crazy. Yes. The jury awarded she got her it. the fifty five yeah. million. And here's how the breakdown yeah. is. They're saying that fifty one percent of the fault falls on Michael Barrett, who was a perpetrator, the guy who videotaped her, while forty nine percent falls on on the hotel, which means Barrett would be responsible for twenty eight point two five million, which we know she won't see that because he doesn't he- have it. And the hotel would be who she's going to shoot for is responsible for $26.75 million. And, of course, once she – they may settle, it could be less, and you got to pay your attorneys, et cetera. But, Nikki, the reason I have a problem with this, I do feel she was violated. And I believe that justice was served because Michael Barrett is in jail. I, I just have a hard time, and people felt said, are saying this is clearly a win for women. I don't know how this is a win for women. I, I have no idea what that means. But – I'm trying to figure out how the Marriott is at blame at all because they didn't rent a room to a man they thought was a predator. So, you know, you could be standing in the hallway unlocking your door and someone could push you in the room and sexually assault you. Is that Marriott's right. fault that a person is a predator? And I have a, To me, this is sending the wrong message. I'm trying to figure out how they possibly can be 49% at blame for his intention. I don't understand that. I don't, and I don't. I don't. I mean, unless they knew somehow that he was a stalker and he was there to see her and he was stalking, unless they were privy to that information, I too can't understand why they will be responsible because you don't know. I mean, people come, they rent a room, they get the credit card, and you go, you you don't ask questions. You just take their money and you send them on their way. You don't know what their intentions are. So how are you supposed to know that? Celebrities often check in. Hotels do go out of their way to isolate them from other people. So, mm-hmm. to me, I don't know if Aaron Andrews at this point realized that Michael Barrett was, was stalking her. From what we know, the video was captured in three different locations, with the Marriott being the third location. But he had checked in other hotels with her and had done a similar thing. So, I think it's interesting that only the Marriott is being held accountable because that's where he was caught in the act. But like I said, this could be anybody. It could be you and me in that room. Sure. And some person yeah. next door, he's a peeping Tom and drills a hole in the wall and videotapes it. Now, I'm going right. to be angry, but I don't know how I can honestly, what I need is for that man to go to jail for violating my privacy. But I don't know right. how I can possibly hold the hotel accountable for that unless Erin Andrews had an idea this man was stalking her, which I don't know if she knew. If she did, then she should have alerted the hotel, I'm having issues with a person who's stalking me, and you can make the request for someone not to be on either side. Not be you know next, what I mean? Yeah. Right. There are things yeah. that you can do to kind of help. I don't know if she knew this or if it was after the fact. And I know hotels do go usually out of their way not to put people next to people that are considered to be celebrities because they know this can be an issue. So I just think that it's just so unfair. I understand that 
the Marriott is a billion dollar corporation, but I don't think they're liable for this because you don't you don't you don't rent a room to somebody with the intention that they're going to be a predator. You don't. And I know what's about to happen now is you're gonna end up signing on a waiver that hotels will no longer be responsible for privacy issues. They're gonna say we go out of our way obviously to try to provide privacy and safety to all of our patrons, but we can't guarantee we don't know who's checking into a room next to you. Obviously, they don't do background checks, but you could have done a background check on Michael Barrett, and it could have come back clean. It's kind of like the gun situation. You could come back clean on a background check, get a weapon, and all of a sudden go postal years later. So I have an issue with this, and if I'm Marriott, I would appeal it. Justice was served when this man went to jail. I'm trying to figure out how Marriott is liable for this. I just can't agree with that. I, I have a problem with that. I don't. I don't see. I don't know. How and it makes I'm, sense. don't start this too much. I'm, I'm not doing background checks to check into a Holiday Inn no. Express. This is getting ridiculous. No. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to. You don't need to know all that about me. You don't need to be in people's. Bit. See, this is when things just get out of hand and it goes too far. Then you have to take extra precautions. Now we got to do extra stuff so they can be covered. It's just too much. Check in the hotel. And take your chances. Well, that's why I think this really becomes a landmark. <laughs> well, I think it becomes a landmark case, Nikki, because if this holds up, I think eventually hotel chains or anybody who provides those kind of services are going to have to create a waiver to cover, as you say, exactly. CYA, because if not, they're just wide open for suits like this. So this actually, to me, becomes a landmark case of how are they liable? Somebody, and I don't know how this is a win for women. I'm trying to figure this out. Like how? Huh? It's a win for women because that man's in jail. Yes. But right. will the average Joe get this same type of justice beyond that man? People get less for no. for God's sake. No, absolutely not. This is somebody drill a hole in my wall and take a picture of it. You think I'm getting $55 million for it? Like, if you don't take your mind to sit down somewhere, <laughs> it is no way. <laughs> you better be glad somebody looking at you. <laughs> Go sit <down>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot to be said. A lot to be said, but I think it's a case worth watching because it, be, it could become landmark if it holds up. It really can. Yeah. And there will be fallout from this in regards to how hotels, you know, kind of deal with privacy and security of their patrons. I, I mean, they can only be responsible to a certain point. All right. So that's some of the topics that are out there in headlines that are trending. We're going to wrap up this first hour with a new segment, Let's Get Our Culture On. Oh. There's an article that came out by a white teacher who thought they could reach their black students until one told them they couldn't. I have some thoughts on that. And there's a new emerging term in America for people that are multiracial, specifically if they're Mexican and black. Blackskin, which is probably a word that isn't new to a lot of people. And the final thing we'll talk about is a principal met a former student that she had expelled and had an aha moment about her action. We'll talk about all those things. And the Let's Get Our Culture On new segment, you're tuned in to the Maya Kai Show Unplugged, featuring Greg, everybody. Everybody's feet in the fast lane, surely now. Revving through the kids, trying to keep ourselves from stressing now. Ah. Take a look in your heart and your soul. This is really it, is it all that you are? We're so caught up in the riddle and 
for Los Angeles Education Partnership before deciding to return back to um, a largely minority high school in South Los Angeles. And it was at, at that point that when he was teaching one of his ninth grade classes one day, that one of his students kind of shared with him that they felt that he was kind of disconnected and couldn't relate to them. And because of that, even though he felt he could, his removal from that system, they didn't feel that he was really connected to them and made learning beneficial for them. It's a very good article that he wrote. What's your thoughts on that? Because I've got some really, I've got some specific thoughts on if people can teach people who don't look like them. I mean, I, I I think it it just depends on your approach. I mean, you know, this is that Michelle Pfeiffer movie, like Gangsters Paradise. You know, remember that movie, like when white people <laughs> yeah, come into in the city oh, and they want to, you know yeah. what I mean? It's right. It's that kind of thing. Like I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna change. It's just the approach. Sometimes I feel like it's a little condescending. You, you know what I mean? Like it's just a little like I I'm gonna reach you. It's like just what are you trying to reach me for? Just teach. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's it, sometimes because, it just well, feels like it, it, teaching, teaching is reaching though. When I think about, I, I know that, but I mean, but I don't think you're like reaching educationally. I think, I think you're trying to reach me, like be my friend, you know, like get with me, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it's reaching like educationally. I'm going to reach you so I can teach you. It's like, I want to, prove to you that I understand you, that I know, you know, that kind of thing. And I feel a way about that. It's kind of condescending to me. It's like, just teach me. You don't have to know me and where I'm from. But, see, and just, here's, but Nikki, here's how I'm a devil advocate, because if I just walk in and just teach you and don't try to connect with you, then people will turn around and say that I don't have an interest in who my students are. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But here's what, here's what it is for me. I probably in my entire academic career have had, now I can officially say, maybe five African-American instructors, and I've had maybe one Latino. And in grade school, from kindergarten to eighth grade, junior high, I had none. Best instructors I ever had I was during that time in junior high. I had an exceptional history and English teacher that made me so proficient. I tested off the charts because of how good they were. High school, I had one black African-American female teacher, and then, of course, when I went to Iowa, I had a couple more, mainly in african studies classes, and I took a sociology class where I had one in there. So that's where it came from there. But my thing for me is I was a learner that could learn from anybody. Now, I also put that in context of the education I received. So I don't struggle with, like, standardized testing because I honestly received a a, a quality education. And my teachers weren't trying to connect with me because I was a student sitting in the room that they were supposed to teach. You know what I mean? So I was just one of the kids. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. There was no no need to make a difference. But I think the issue is when you get into urban settings, the first thing you hear about those students are that urban learners are different. They have but that's not obstacles. true because I'm an urban learner. Uh, me, and I, well, okay, and but, I, okay, that is but, so Nikki, not true. Uh, uh, that's not true. Went to like, uh, uh, you, you, you graduated high school early. You went to University of Chicago Lab School. You and I aren't typical students, so we can't use ourselves as I think a mirror image of what we're But I didn't right, go by right myself. Now. It was a whole but, bunch of us that went with me. I'm like, I wasn't students, there by myself. Saying, it was a lot but of us. There was, that, but there were exceptional students that were pull, pulled out and put in a special circumstance because they were identified as being unique. Different scenario. So we can't do it. Let's, let's not even use us as an example. Let's just fast forward to today and look at urban learners. 
what people always talk about is how they're distracted because either the crime in their neighborhood, they're impoverished, they're not eating meals, there's nobody supporting them at home, there's, and we see it happening all the time. Now, mm-hmm. what I think is interesting in this conversation is I've had conversations with teachers that are teachers of color who have talked about the struggles of just trying to teach kids who look like them because a lot is going on. So clearly there's going to be probably a larger disconnect with somebody who doesn't look like you, who right now a climate of nobody, right now our kids are getting a climate of, of they're being re-kind re of indoctrinated into racism. They really are. So people who don't look like you don't have your best interests at heart. They, they're they're going to pass you over. It, it's really interesting the rhetoric that the kids are getting, and some just drop out. So I think it's, here, here was my issue with this. I could care less about who stands in front of a child and teaches them as long as they have their best interest at heart and they're doing the key thing, which is having them learn. Correct. And more importantly, if you're a good teacher, you make kids excited about learning. Sure. You are a good teacher. Sure. If for one moment you yeah. can take that child who is marginalized and have them have a moment where they are engaged and they forget, that's an awesome thing. I don't care what you look like. What I wish we would talk about is the reason why urban learners are so different because they're under duress. As kids trying to learn, trying to get to school without being shot or beat up, the fact that they don't get, you know, consistent meals, the fact that parents aren't looking out for them. We just had this conversation last night when we talked about how proud we are of our little core friends where we had met at Iowa, and several of, of, of the kids, like yourself, your daughter, and some of our mm-hmm. other friends have kids, are seniors in high school, and they're graduating. And I had said, I am so proud of everybody because the power of parenting is amazing. It's amazing Mm -hmm. because the circumstances, even though almost all their parents are college educated, everybody came from different backgrounds. There's some of them were single mothers, single parents. Mm -hmm. Some people got married. But there were different circumstances. So it wasn't like it was a walk in the park for everybody who decided to have kids or had a kid or whatever the circumstances were. But what mattered was the power of parenting being there, being consistent. While we're deflecting about who's teaching our kids opposed to why they're struggling with learning in the first place, we, Nikki, we never get to the core of the conversation, and that bothers me. We, it really bothers me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think – I think that, and and I and I don't know, but I, from just what I can assess and and what I see and what I hear, and I have friends who um, teach in inner city schools, and they are just completely, I mean, just so different. They're just so different from us. Just everything, just from like you said, mm-hmm. parenting and just the climate that they're growing up in, and like everything, they're so different. So I. You know, at one point, urban, that's what I'm saying, urban kids were teachable. Like, we're no different from anybody else. And, yes, I mean, it was yes. a couple kids that might have been hungry, but it, you didn't have to, Michelle Pfeiffer didn't have to come in and turn the school around. It was like, we get it. You know what I mean? We didn't need all of that. We were very teachable by anybody. And I never looked at any of my white teachers and was like, you don't look like me. I can't, I don't get it. I mean, yes, that just no. wasn't the thing. You know, never, ever. So, where do you start with these kids? Is it the the parenting? I mean, a whole lot has to go into where they live and just their environment and yes. all of that yes. feeds into it. And it's got to be hard to teach them no matter what color you are. It's got to be hard to teach, period. It's hard, just yeah, so, well, the kids, and that's my yeah. thing. And trying to create silos because, like, saying only black people should teach black people and vice versa, that's a dangerous Ridiculous. proposition to put on the table. Because then we get back to the swaddling that we're seeing at UConn. It's important to – we 
the black thing is the one thing we keep saying, we need more of it. Yes, we do need for more black teachers to be put in other schools as well. We need to create that exchange overall. But when we talk about urban learners, I was like, let's address the reason why they're struggling with learning. Because you're right, if I'm concerned about what's happening at home, if I'm hungry, or if I'm concerned that, you know, when I leave school, I might get shot getting home, am I really concerned about learning? Probably not, if I even show up at school. So how about we focus on what's really going on with the kids, why there's a struggle to learn. And I'll be honest, um, look, look, I'll just put it out there. I'm not going to lie and be like, I can connect with every single issue that every other black person has. Because, one, I have never been hungry. Two, I have never felt in danger. And three, I had people that were invested in me and supported me as a child. I can't identify with that. Mm-hmm. People make the assumption because I happen to look like them, we're going to connect. And I think that's a lofty assumption to make that's not healthy. That's not healthy. Yeah. And when you do see people disconnecting, then they talk about you like, well, you're black. But all black people, we're not homogenous. We don't have the same experiences. We share a background and a similar culture, sure. but things have changed along the way. And think about change, things changing along the way. I think you and I have used this term for a couple of years, Blacksican. Well, they're saying. Yeah, you know, my, I got, is, my nephew's Blacksican. <laughs> exactly. We now are, are seeing, um, it's a cultural term, a multicultural term, that really is starting to get traction around the country. Blacksican is when you have an individual that has a black parent and a Mexican parent, parent and, and have a child mm-hmm. together. They're called Blacksican. And then before, I, I would mm-hmm. say it was an underbelly term, but it was a term of endearment. Like, oh, she's Blacksican, you know. But now mm-hmm. it's really something that's becoming a term of endearment for people that that is what their parentage is, and they said they feel mm-hmm. like it's a way that they can really identify with both of their cultures. Besides just saying, you know, cause here's what's interesting. When you are Blacksican, it's really not about being multiracial. You have a racial component in some cases and an ethnic component. So you're really merging Correct. together two different things. So there's a great story right. that NPR did about it, about how a lot of kids that currently in this in this generation that share that identity, they're really finding some ownership in being called that. They like it. And I think it's interesting. So it's a term you might come to hear more frequently. Blacksican. I kind of like yeah. it. I just tell my nephew, I'm like, my little Blacksican baby. I'm like, oh, he's so sweet, my little Blacksican baby. He's Blacksican. I mean, the thing is, Nikki, I know a whole lot of people who have Blacksican kids. That's what's interesting. So I was like, yeah. you know, I, I think it's a great term, and I've never heard anybody feel pushback from it um, so far. No. I mean, everybody won't like everything, but I've never heard a negative response from people mm-hmm. who – people either use the label or they don't use the label. You know what I mean? Right. But I think it's, right. it's something that – so check out the article in NPR. It's part of their um, series they do called Code Switch. And Code Switch is dedicated by NPR about talking about social and cultural kind of changes or things that are on the horizon that are worthy of conversation. And I think a lot of kids were saying it allows for people to know who they were instantly, not just being multiracial, which can be kind of a blur, some of them said. It clearly defined mm-hmm. who they were and it gave them a sense of pride that they were able to honor both their parents. Something like Tiger Woods tried to do, but he kind of messed it up because he put too much in Oh, he, he, he was, was like too many Asian. things. He was like Cobbler Blasian. I was like, you too, that's too much and he was stuff. Trying you to, too he many was things. Trying to be like Caucasian, you know, Caucasian, black, and Asian. Well, his dad was, yeah. his dad was black. There might have been some white people in his family, as there is with a lot of black people, but he, he was right. trying to immerse it all together. That's what I'm so, saying. Uh, I'm like, you trying to be too many things. Just pick two things right. and be that. <laughs> Stop trying to be two, everything. Two is a mass. 
Or what you two is a match. You can only be two unless things. it's really truly like warranted. We can look at both your parents and be like, okay, this, this, but it is what it is. So I kind of think um, Code Switch, check it out. It's an article by NPR that really talks about this new trend in identification for people that are black and Mexican in their heritage. It was really a great story I wanted to share. So let's get our culture on. Sharing some cultural nice. conversation that may have some negative connotations, but seeing through it and finding the positive that kids can learn from anybody. But let's look at why they're not learning the real reason, opposed to sugarcoating it with who you shouldn't put in front of them. So my question is this. This is what I will leave you with, but let's get our culture on, for people who are adamant that black kids should only be taught by black people. So you put a black teacher in front of the kid. My question is, when they go home, is there food on the table? Is there somebody invested in who they are? Do they feel safe? Does any of that change the reasons that maybe urban learners struggle to be good students? Hmm. I don't know. Mm. Just a little food for just a little food for thought there. Because you know, I hate to say this, every black teacher isn't invested in every black student. I don't no, know if people got that memo. Absolutely not. And I, some more than others. <laughs> but I don't know why people are acting like everybody's in, is a kumbaya. Because it's not, folks. We got to stop lying to ourselves. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed the first edition of Let's Get Our Culture On. We're going to take a break and come back in our second hour and kick it off with the Fringe. I, I've come to enjoy the Fringe, Nikki, because we get to talk about some things that are different. Could you imagine being a principal and because you're trying to do the right thing with your students, you get students that get angry enough to burn your house down and they no. thought you might be in it? Exactly. We're going to talk about that. <laughs>
All right. We're into the second hour of the Maya Kai Show Unplugged featuring comedian Nikki Brayden. Kicking it off in one of my favorite segments, at least it's fastly becoming that, the fringe. We talk about some different headlines that are trending that maybe aren't in your timeline, but in someone else's, but it's worthy of discussion. You'd like to weigh in on it? 310-807-5211. The chat room's open, and if you want to get social with the show, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at the Maya Kai Show. Nikki, how can they connect with you? I'm Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter, and the Nikki Braden on Instagram. All right, so being a teacher is tough on anybody, regardless of who you are, what color you are. Kids today just take a whole lot more energy to really educate, and it isn't something that honestly is unique just to urban centers of learning. We're seeing around the country. Kids lashing out, taking guns to school, all kinds of stuff is going on. So we have to acknowledge, one, that we are a country in crisis, and we're dealing with a whole generation of people, Nikki, that apparently do not know how to deal with their anger. With anything. There's this interesting, no, with anything. Seriously. But there's this interesting story coming out of Idaho. I would like to say of all places, but these days, no place is out of bounds for poor behavior by students. Well, the principal whose life, and his family's life came into mortal danger as some students decided to act against him for something as retaliation. Take a listen as Inside Edition reports on the principal whose house was set on fire. Principal Mark Helliker knows each and every one of his 415 high school students. Have a good time with class. Don't be late. You guys better hurry up. He's been principal for nine years here at the same high school he graduated from in Payette, Idaho. But today, he and his wife Lori and daughter Katie are homeless, living in a cramped motel room after their beautiful home was destroyed in a raging fire. 911, our house is on fire. Your house is on fire? Yes, it's burning really fast. Above the garage, this is my son Brian's room. He'll be home from college in about a week, and uh, I don't think he's going to stay here. As you can see, how the fire moved straight up. This was no accident, authorities say. How do they know? Hours after flames broke out came this post from a high school student on social media. An emoji of flames with a terrifying message. Police say they quickly focused on four students. Two of them had been suspended by Principal Helliker the week before for allegedly possessing illegal drugs. The arrests have shocked the close-knit city of Payette, Idaho. Investigators say the students deliberately set the fire out of revenge and then ghoulishly watched from a distance as the house burned. They could actually see this fire raging, fully engulfed, and one of them made a, con- a comment about, you know what, that ass deserves this. They never called 911. They had to have known people were in the home sleeping. Our cameras were there as the helikers met with an insurance adjuster to assess the damage. This is the master. Oh, my gosh. There's stuff, of course, in here, but you can't open it. Oh, man. People don't realize the fire was actually in here. Despite what happened to them, this principal and his wife, who is also a teacher, say they won't give up on their students. We've spent 20 years looking for the best in children, and that's not going to really change just because four of them made a bad decision. Oh, my gosh. reporting on students in Idaho setting their principal house on fire with them in it, Nikki, at night when they potentially could have been asleep as a retaliation. 
I know what my calling is and isn't in life. <laughs> Being anything related to school is not it. Look. There is a disconnect. The fact that they were like, okay, we're going to get back at him. Let's set his house on fire. Okay, Look. so if they hadn't got out and they had burned to death, I- I'm questioning if there had, would there be any form of remorse or lack of empathy that we talked about in the first segment of this show. Why is that even remotely a normal reaction to have because you got caught in the act? I don't understand. I, I, this, this is just parenting. I'm telling you, Nikki, it's about I don't understand why they meeting with an insurance adjuster. I was like, you'd be meeting with an ass adjuster. You burn my house down. An insurance adjuster, <laughs> you just know. You go, you go meet an ass, ass, ass adjuster. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. That's insane to me. And they're just like, cool. They're like, we're still. I was like, look. Everybody flunks. I'm the principal. I'm the t- everybody flunks. Everybody. You will not graduate. Everybody flunks. It is no way that I would just be. It seems like they just didn't care. Was the house ugly? It just seems like they didn't care. Believe it or not, it was. It was. It was a nice, a nice, like you know, a nice, you know, middle class house. I would say here that kind of house would probably go about two hundred and ninety thousand dollars. So he was a decent, okay. you know, kind of cool. like in Plainfield or someplace like that. Oh, I mean, they awfully nice cool. Like, mm. The whole thing didn't burn down, though. But I just, I look at this. And so when you have situations like this, there's always kind of mixed feelings on how to deal with this. Because obviously they're going to press charges, and they should, and the kids do need to go to jail. But then you have people who say, well, they're kids. You know what? If you put them in jail for so long, you know, Rehabilitate them. And so I what? Someone like this. I said, you do so know what? someone who does this in high school. Yes. You know what's on their mind as they become an adult. Yeah. You are looking at a a social deviant right here. Yes. You are looking yes. at a social deviant, and that is dangerous. It's it really is dangerous. because kids usually like PP the house or egg the house, and so you burn, you set a house on fire, and you're telling me that there shouldn't be any repercussions for that because you're a child. That's, that you're right. That's a social deviant. And and the and the disconnect on this is not only did they set the house on fire and step back and talk about burning down the house, or we don't need no <laughs> let it burn. Literally. <laughs> right. Literally, all the wrong things wrong is they talk about burning stuff down. But the fact that they did what so many people do in this generation, they went to social media and posted what they ultimately had done. And I'm like, see how they're not the sharpest tools in the shed? You right. just committed what is going to be arson. That is a felony. I do not believe that you should go to social media to actually brag about the fact that you almost could have killed three people. Somebody, two people. Yeah. They could have died from smoke inhalation, anything. Like, that could have went way, way wrong. You understand what I'm saying? This is not how we got back at our teachers. You knock that mailbox down, you put a whoopee cushion in the chair, you put a tack on the chair. That's what you do when your teacher pisses you off. You don't go and burn the house down. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? There needs to be a moratorium in this country. How, one, a lack of coping skills has become paramount and people choosing how they're going to respond when they feel the sense of discord. It's an issue. It really is. Because we're seeing too much fallout over things that, like, should not result in you wanting to kill someone. So because you caught me with illegal drugs, which you know is a punishment, is going to come with it. It's a reason why it's illegal. So their response is, how dare you reprimand me for something that I know is wrong, 
I'm going to get back at you. So you got suspended for a couple days. That's it. So your your actual response is, let's burn down their house and show them who's gone. There, there is a sense of strange narcissism that exists in this country, and it's getting worse. And it's, and it's really, to yeah. me, has begun to be, it's rooted and it's growing in our younger generations of people. And I don't know how we fix this, Nikki. It's, it's, it's sad that people become angry and they lash out in a way that's not just unhealthy, but it could actually be something that could be detrimental to somebody else. Because I, I think that what and what I'm seeing and just just from having kids in school and just the way that they structure, everybody has a even playing field, so to speak, and they want to make it that way, And which I get in some instances, I, you know, everybody should be treated equally and fair, but it, it's still like to the point that they want everybody to have the same thing and everybody has to feel like, like you know, you – if you have a like my son had the watch and they, their whole thing about the watch was other kids don't have it and what if their feelings were hurt and what and I'm like so what you don't understand what I mean like so when you right. grow up I guess not knowing or n- not ever having your feelings hurt or you're led to believe that everybody is supposed to have the same thing and get the same stuff and have the and then when it doesn't happen they're starting to freak out because it's like what do you mean that's not let's, that's not fair and people are freaking out. That context that even goes beyond that. If nobody ever teaches you right from wrong, that's the basis of this. You got caught mm-hmm. in the act, so hence you are going to be punished accordingly. You don't get to retaliate on something when you're wrong. This is not like Durango Street or Lord of the Flies or something strange. So I'm like, I'm trying to figure out if nobody teaches you about having a sense of responsibility, but more importantly, having a because this is a lack of, em- of empathy again. Because now you're sure. trying to kill people. And that's like, that doesn't make any sense. Welcome to the show. If you're listening in, because you called in, thank you for being here. But remember, if you have something you want to say, you've got to hit the one button because that tells me you're raising your hand and you have a comment. Otherwise, I just think you're listening via phone, which we appreciate either way. So just make sure, comment, hit the one button, and I'll know you have something you'd like to share. So that's a story that I just, it bothered me. That but it, it shouldn't because we keep seeing these incidents of violence like this around the country. Even in these places like Idaho and South Dakota, remember like a couple months ago we talked about the kid yeah. who took a gun to school and shot at yeah. the principal? He could have killed him because he was so close, but he grazed him instead. This right. lack of responsibility from actions of children, it all comes down to the parents, and I don't know how we yes. fix it. Now, here's another story, and I'm definitely going to be the devil's advocate on this because the first time I read this, I said to myself, I already know where this is going to be a ride. So officially, officially, it's been reported that the first ever uterine transplant has actually been completed. So Mm -hmm. this is something that has been looked at for a while that specifically is looking at women who have fertility issues that cannot carry a pregnancy to term. Now Mm -hmm. on your donor's list will be a uterus. And there was a situation for a lady where um, a lady passed away and she was a donor, and she actually donated her uterus. And the transplant is the first official transplant that has happened in the U.S. of a uterine, which means this woman who now was unable to have children in hopes of this transplant, that her body, you know, keeps the uterus, will be able to carry a baby to term. And she was 26 years old. So this is actually groundbreaking because from a fertility standpoint, 
this will change maybe people having Nikki to have surrogates and things of that nature yes. and be able to carry yes. their own pregnancy to term. Now, what we don't know is it's technically not your uterus, which means there is a different DNA in your that's body. That's what I was going to, that's exactly what so I was going to say. About how, obviously it's your egg fertilizing, but what now we don't have is she has not become impregnated, so we don't know will she truly be able to carry the baby to term. Right. But here's where I'm playing the devil's advocate on this. Do you remember probably in about maybe October we talked about uterine transplants, but it was a discussion about men being able to carry babies to term. Yeah. And it was transgender individuals may now potentially have the ability to give birth if they can make a uterine transplant work for a transgender woman. So here's what I see coming down the pipeline. I'm telling you. I can't even take it. Uteruses are being being donated as kidneys, livers, hearts, everything else, eyes, partially can be donated. The argument is going to come down on the donors list. Does a biological woman have rights to a uterus first? Yes. So she either doesn't have one or a defective one, or should a transgender woman who biologically is not a woman who would require more to carry a child to term, if even possible, or do they have the same no. right to a donation? I, I'm telling you, no. it was the first thought I had. Here we go. Here we go, folks. Absolutely because not. It's, no. it's going to be an argument on the table, though. I know it is. It's I'm not going to be. Our, Caitlyn Jenner doesn't need a uterus. I, this is where I'm drawing the line. You don't get a uterus. You don't get one. There are so many women who want to have a baby, and I'll be doggone if I'm going to give one to Caitlyn Jenner first. Because she want, No, absolutely not. I will be outraged, and I can have children, but I will be absolutely outraged because I know as a woman, like, to not be able to, to do that, like, that's hard. Like, I... I mean, I'm not saying that's the purpose of a woman, but you're supposed to be able to have children if you so choose to, and you're, your body's supposed to be able to do that. And when it doesn't, that's a hard thing to grasp. It has to be. And now you're telling me, like, I have the possibility to have a child and carry to term, and now i got to compete with Caitlyn Jenner and that kind of stuff to get a you No, I, no I'm mad. Well, this, this, no. this transplant was done by the Cleveland Clinic, which we know is a very prestigious medical facility. that does a lot of research and testing, and this is actually part of a clinical trial. And this individual was first or the first 10 patients. So the first step is, okay, these, these were women that either could not have children um, and the uterus is removed. So now they've actually mm-hmm. implanted. And as it stands, the uterus has taken. But now that next okay. step will be, Good. can they actually impregnate her? And can she carry, one, will she sustain the pregnancy and carry it to term? So now that, that will be the next right. level of this. Next step. And I'm telling mm-hmm. you, but, so what they have not actually done, at least on the U.S. soil, is even attempted to, because we do know through gender reassignment surgery, a vagina is created, but you really can't create a uterus. Correct. So that would be the next Correct. step. So it still would have to be, from that aspect, there would still have to be research that would support. But here's what they were even saying when we talked about, hey, he could be a dad, and my joke was, I'm about to go have 10 kids by 10 different men so I could just have a baby. But no, really. But what, we, what they were saying is the percentage of success would be they don't think would be high because even though someone may be transgender and they do the reassignment surgery, they always have to take hormones to maintain because your body is right. always fighting to be biologically what it is. And they were saying right. the drugs that would have to be given to sustain the pregnancy along with hormones, it would be a lot just not for the individual but for the fetus alone. For the baby. And they're not sure at this right. point if it's feasible. But I'm telling you, the argument's going to come, why can't I have the uterus too? 
Because and just, because Nikki said you can't, and that's what should be the answer to it when that when it comes, and that's the question. Because Nikki said you can't, and then that's the end of it, and we're not gonna argue about it. Nikki final said no. That's story why. in the fridge. <laughs> you know how I feel about the animals. You know Maya is animal centric, except for snakes and insects. Um, I really don't care much about those. But other animals, you know, I'm passionate about them. You remember how last month I was very upset about the baby dolphin that ended up dying uh-huh. in Brazil because mm-hmm. people took it out the water and was passing it around yeah. to selfies and then didn't yeah. have the decency to put it back in the water. They put it back. And it died. And remember just how in, just enraged I was? Okay, round two of dumb human beings. A tourist ends up killing a swan after pulling it out of the lake to take, once again, a selfie. This happened not on U.S. soil. Actually, these two things did not happen on U.S. soil. This happened in Macedonia, where this lady was out by a lake and saw this very beautiful, full-grown swan. She actually, Nikki, they, they have these pictures. People took pictures and videos yeah. of her. Uh, uh, she assaulted the swan. She grabbed it by the wings. She was grabbing it by the neck because she was so adamant about taking the selfie. And because of how aggressive she was, she ended up giving injuries they couldn't sustain, and it laid on the beach and it on the, on the side of the lake. I'm sorry, and it died. I can't take. First that. of all, that's kind of brave because a swan will kick your butt. Swans don't play you like know, they're, they're not, like geese. Like you, they're you, not nearly as they're not like here's the thing. Swans are not like geese. Where the geese are very agree, are very aggressive. But yes, and they are. They do, are very they, they function in they, they function in large groups. So when one comes for you, they all come for you, and they're yeah. like an army. An army of geese, a gaggle, a gaggle of geese come at you. Gaggle. Swans are so yeah. well. Swans exist in pairs. They mate for life. So there's only only two of them. And then honestly, they're not known to be aggressive. Actually, there's some swans where I live at. People walk up, feed them, and they had to tell people, please don't give the swan pancakes because they can't digest that. That's how dumb people are. One of the swans died <laughs> because people were giving it eggs and pancakes. I'm like, what? what? That's what? ridiculous. Well, yeah. I'm just like, don't give that to a homeless person. They would appreciate it more than the swan who ate it but can't digest it. But this lady was so aggressive, the swan, it, it sustained injuries. It's not that important, folks, to take a selfie. A selfie no. is you. Leave the animals out to selfie. Can we do that? Because now it's another casualty. It's a lack of irresponsibility that, that bothers me. She saw the damage and then just walked off and left it there. You just can't snatch a swan <sighs> like that, snatch one up like that. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I can't. I just, I'm serious. I'm, I'm not a fan of the human race. I know I belong to it, but it just really turns me off. It does because our sense of irresponsibility. But you know, why this doesn't surprise me because we don't like each other. So we, no, we, we don't. Set houses on fire. We shoot each other. So I don't know why. Yeah. In my mind, I would think yeah. we have any real compassion for animals. Because most we have people no do have more compassion for animals than humans. I, well, I know. People I do. really do. Like you know, most time, they have more I'll, compassion I'll, for I'll animals than humans. And I probably would run a person over. <laughs> See. See, I will. I will let a squirrel right. have it. <laughs> that's the friend. You're have it. Have it too. Come to your street. It's come to your street at night. Anyways, all right. That wraps up the friends, and it is time for what? What would Nikki say? Speaking of what you would say about the swan, sit tight and okay. I really got some good ones this week. We're gonna talk some relationships. Oh gosh. I okay. I got some. I think I got some stumpers because there's one. Of okay. Them. I'll be really curious because it's one of those borderline being politically correct, but if you're going to be honest with the person, you're going to tell them something they're probably not wanting to hear. It's that kind of scenario. So sit tight so you can find Let's out go. What, would Nick, what would Nikki say. It's Amaya Guy for our guys featuring me and Nikki Burton. Quick break. And we will be
let's start with this is a this is a marriage one, and I think this is one of those double edged swords ones. So I'll be curious what you think about this one. Why okay. is bad times are made worse by family's desertion. I recently realized I have a fair weather family. My husband got in trouble with the law and now is in a drug treatment facility. And this has been hard on me, but I love it. His crime was being in possession of illegal drugs that were intended for his, himself only. His family has turned their backs on us. My family will invite me to family functions, but if I mention him, they walk away. I've been feeling very alone and isolated throughout this entire process. Today when I went to the doctor for an appointment, I was referred to an oncologist for further testing and treatment. I don't want to tell my family. I spoke with one close friend who said my parents and siblings have a right to know what's going on. But I feel differently. I think families should support each other through everything. They don't get to pick and choose. What do you think? Doing this alone in Pennsylvania. All right. All right. Where do you stand well, on this? Well, um, here's here's the thing. It, I get I get totally what she's saying. Like you don't get to pick and choose when you get to be in my life and you're in and you're out. But sometimes it's very very hard when when somebody loves you so much and your family clearly loves you. When your family loves you so much and then somebody you feel like you're in this situation that you they want you out of, it's hard for them to kind of express it, and maybe they don't do it in the right way. So my point is, if you truly are feeling alone and isolated and something that is not fixable, but you're going to stay that way, but is this a punishment by not telling them about your oncology appointment? So is this a get back at them kind of thing, or do you really feel like, you know, I don't want them to know? Because it seems like it's a get back at you type of thing because if you just really didn't want them to know and you really didn't care and you were isolated, then you would just be like, I'm not telling them anything. You're hurt and you're upset, but I wouldn't do this as a punishment. You understand what I mean? Like this is very serious and it's very important. And maybe this could be something that can kind of bring your family together and then help them support you through this and then then along the way support you with your husband. So you can get support either way, but you're just isolating yourself by doing this, and then it's a punishment, and then it's going to really be bad. So I think you should tell your family. It might heal and bring everybody together. You don't know. Give give it a try. But I wouldn't not tell them. I think she should. All right. Here's what, here's what Dara Abby had to say. I know you're angry with your relatives, but if you think you will be punishing them by keeping your diagnosis to yourself, you won't. I agree with your friend that your family should be told what's going on with you, not because they have a right to know, but because you may at some point need their help. Okay, you guys both kind of said the same thing. You need to you need to tell them because it's, it's important yeah. with your health. And I, you can still tell them about the other part. As far as I'm concerned, I tell them about the other part too. Like I really don't appreciate how you treated my spouse. I think that's yes, that, yeah, absolutely. So it can bring everything together. It could be a bonding yeah. and healing moment and help. You know what I mean? That could actually right. turn everything around. So I'm going to give you that absolutely. round because you brought that up, and I think that's key. That it could be the thing that could turn the tables and say, you know mm-hmm. what, I'm telling you this. But that's why I, that bothers me when you did that, because no matter what he does, right. he's still my husband. So if one of you guys right. go off in left field, should I abandon you? So I think right. I like your approach. You added that layer to it. So round one, ding, 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 ding. Please. To Nikki. Ooh, let's see if you can go for the sweep today. All right. Okay. Next <laughs> scenario on the test. It gets better, folks, as it moves along. And FYI, you're welcome to share your opinion. You can put it in the chat room. You can raise your hand if you're on hold. You know, especially if it's a different perspective, if you're a fellow checking into the show, we'd like to know what you guys are thinking as well. Okay, 
But here's the next scenario. Okay. <laughs> this one's interesting. I hate your sinister laugh. Now I'm scared. <laughs> every, every time you do your because sinister laugh, I'm like, now I'm think, nervous. This is one I think people, a lot of people have actually experienced and have had different kind of outcomes on it. So I'll be curious what you okay. say. Couples okay. sharing households should share expenses too. I need some relationship advice. How do you handle household expenses with a partner? My boyfriend and I have been in a relationship for 10 years. Well, that's the first problem right there, 10 years. And all this time, he has never once split any of the expenses with me. Huh? I pay for everything. He does buy groceries, although not all of them. He also helps around the house and with my daughter. If I bring up issues of sharing expenses, it turns into a fight. He says he's sorry. He doesn't make enough money. Then he says all that matters is me. All that matters is to me is money and threatens to move out. I feel completely taken advantage of because he does have the money to make a 300-plus monthly payment for his new boat that's sitting in my garage to all. It's all about priorities. I would like a new car, but I have other monthly bills to pay. Is it just me or is this unfair? Up to here with it in South Dakota. <laughs> yeah, it's just Run you. It. It's absolutely just you. <laughs> if you want to be a fool for 10 years, it is just you. It's only you. Just you, fool. How are you, are you kidding me? Like for 10 years, is uh, for 10 years and he threatens to move out, let him move out. If he's not willing to help you and he has a boat and all these expenses and he wants to throw that you guys don't need to live together. And you're putting you need a new car, you have a child, you have to put you and your child first and your well-being first later for him and let him go live somewhere else and pay all the expenses. He would have to pay something somewhere. He can't live for free anywhere else. So you have to tell him that and then just cut the sever the ties. This is only you. Only you would do this for 10 years, absolutely. And then if you keep doing it and you allow it, you're just going to be taken advantage of. Either you sever the ties, put him out, or he has to step up to the plate and start paying half of everything. If not, just pay for everything and don't write us anymore because that's dumb. <laughs> All right. Here's what I had to say. I'd be curious. If there's any fellows chiming, chiming into the show, I want to know what you think. I, I'll say my piece in a second. But here's what, here's what Abby had to say. It's not just you. You've been carrying the lion's share of the load. But unless you are finally ready to insist upon a new arrangement with this man who has had it pretty good for at least the last 10 years, nothing will change. It's time to, to ask yourself whether what he does contributes on every level. Is it enough to satisfy you? If it isn't, be prepared to tell, tell him you need to find an equal partner, and if he's unwilling to be that person, he should move on. All right, you guys both are the same. That's a split round on that. Okay, let me just say this. I could never, and this is going to be the sexiest thing you may ever hear me say, I could never be with a man who would let me pay for everything. I'd be like, what's wrong no. with the kitchen? No. <laughs> Absolutely so, not. I'm not going to be with a man for 10 years because, one, we're shacking no. up at this point. We're, we are yeah. married without being married. And understand this. Some people don't want to be married, and that's fine. Sure. But if we are going to cohabitate and behave like we are married people, then we need to behave yeah. like we're married people, and that means equal responsibility. And why this man would be comfortable just, as far as I'm concerned, sponging off her and threatens to leave, then you should leave. That's why if you can get it better somewhere else, go get it. And then you go get a boat. Oh, my. See, that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back yes. to me. When the boat yes. rolled up, I would have packed all his stuff, yes. put it in the garage, in the, in boat. the boat, and been like, 
and rode him right on out. Like, this is where you would live. This is how petty my Akai would have been on the boat thing. That would have been the thing that broke the straw that broke the camel's back. He's been sleeping in the boat. You live in the boat. And the boat's going to get pushed out the garage come tomorrow when I find somebody to move it. So you, you and that boat are getting set afloat. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would have lost it. Absolutely. When people allow this kind of behavior to happen, and I'm going to be a flip side. I was sexist. But, fellas, I will say this, too, out of fairness. I don't think a woman should not carry her expenses either. Even if you're with a guy who insists he wants to pay, I think you should be like, no, babe, let me pay the cable bill. Or the elect- pay for some Somebody, I mean, you do typically do that. And whoever you, makes you the more money, like, I know people something. be like, I'll do the utilities, you cover the rent, I'll handle the utilities and the groceries, and it ends up being fair for everybody. Yeah. You understand what I mean? You but just do not do anything. That you are equally invested, just like I have a gripe with a sure. man who won't take my car and put gas in it and wash it. But that's a Oh, story. gosh, okay. I can't. Oh, God, no. But we, I digress. I digress. Fellas, just FYI, that's old school, though. I'm talking from an old school, old school perspective about kind of what I anticipate of a man if we're together. Like, I think that's the stuff that you should do. Just like I'm sure there's things they feel I should do. I'm wanting to meet you halfway, but okay. I digress. Let's move on to the next round. All right. So, round okay. three. So, Nikki has won the first round. The second round is split. We're going to round three. Okay. This is a marriage thing. Couples' diver- divergent interests may result in a future split. My husband of 12 years and I have few common interests. I am earthy, nature-loving, people-loving, and crave a rural lifestyle. He's an introvert, loves everything Western, enjoys his downtime, and watches a lot of television. He dislikes animals and is a sports fanatic. I don't criticize his interests. I allow him to have his hobbies. My problem is our dreams of the future can't be combined. My off-the-grid homestead and his 70s TV don't exactly fit. It's depressing that we don't appreciate each other's interests and all doing and doing all of our hobbies separately is lonely. How can I experience my dreams when they are not with my husband's dreams? Hippie Jane in Utah. Mm. Didn't you guys notice before you get? Didn't you <laughs> notice before you got married? I mean. You was living exactly. in a treehouse, and he's, like, at the sports arena. You didn't figure out that that was not going to, like, was... mesh well and blend well? <laughs> I mean, you understand what I mean? So I don't understand no, why I... people put themselves in that position. That's the reason why people are together. Like, this might not work long term when we get married, because how do you do that? And then you end up separating. And I, look, I know everybody has separate interests, and I think everybody should. I think everybody should have – you don't have to do everything together. That's horrible, too. You should have separate interests, but when you don't have – anything, absolutely anything in common, and you just, you're by yourself anyway. So I don't know if you can continue coexisting that way, if that will make you happy. If not, then if you want to find your happiness elsewhere and you want to live on the grid and that's what you want to do and he's not willing to do that, it seems like you're just going to have to get divorced. Yeah, yeah. You're going to go live in your treehouse and he going to the Bears game and that's just what's going to happen and y'all got to split up. But you should have knew that right. prior to getting married. Here's what Abby said. Try doing something that – try doing that by remembering what you had in common with your husband 13 years ago. Is the core of your relationship still a good one? Couples don't have to be joined at the hip 24-7. Can't each of you enjoy your hobbies and interests separately? Many couples do. However, if the answer is that you have grown increasingly apart in 12 years, the only way to re- to, to, you each can experience your dreams may be to do it alone or with other like-minded people. Okay, you guys kind of said the same thing on that. And I agree. What what attracted you together in the first place? So, right. 
is that no longer plausible? Can you not experience? I mean, because as you grow up for 13 years, you are going to have some different interests or find, I don't feel like doing that. Sure. I get that. But my thing is, can you find new interests together that you can share if you love that person? I would hope your hobbies it just This is what I'm saying. It sounds like you can have different them. hobbies, but it seems like they just have different lifestyles. It's not just different things. Like, she has a totally different lifestyle from him. That's hard to combine. A lifestyle and a hobby or interest you can do separately. But when your lifestyle is completely different, I don't know how that's going to work. All right. I'm going to put that round. So you lead by one All right. and you share two. But this, this, this round, this is the oh, killer right here because I want to know okay. what you're going to say on this one. Man looking at gay porn may be more than what? curious. I'll say it again. Wait, wait, what? Man looking okay. at gay porn may be more than uh-huh. curious. I've been with my fiancé for three years, and I'm very much in love. A few months ago, I asked to use his phone to look up something on the Internet because my battery had died. It opened up to, gay, to a gay porn site. I was shocked and asked him if it was something he was looking at. He admitted that he was. Nothing like this has happened to me before. So I began asking if that's what he likes or is he into. He assured me the answer was no. He said he looked because he was simply curious about it. I told, I, he told me he loves women and doesn't want to be with a man. He said he was just looking. I believe him, but this, is this normal behavior? Weirded out in the West. No, 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 absolutely no. You, I mean, typically heterosexual men don't go for like, I'm curious of what that's about. You know what it's about. I mean, I don't have, I, I know exactly what that's about. I mean, I don't get the curiosity. Like, you, how does that work? You know how it works. So people kind of know, you get the gist of it. And if that's not your thing, you yeah, don't have to look at it. You, don't have, you understand? Sure. That's not your thing. You get the gist. You've seen it somewhere before. You understand what I mean? So this is this is a no. And this is typically how you get in relationships like that, and then 10 years later your husband is gay, and then you catch him in the bed with a man, and then you're wondering where you went wrong, and you went wrong when you took his phone and believed that lie that he was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you went wrong. Are you, are, you, are you saying she should throw the towel on this? Because that's a huge, huge deal. Is this a deal breaker? Is this a deal breaker? It has to be. I mean, if she, look, she should have an honest conversation, and and she should be honest with herself. If it's not a deal, if she doesn't mind her man um, swimming in those waters, and it doesn't bother her, and it's not enough to break up that relationship, fine. To each his own. But if that's a deal break for her, she should really have an honest, honest conversation. Because of course, a man is gonna be like, no, I was just. What man is gonna really admit that? No one ever does, and they suppress it and all the stuff. All the time, and then they're married, and then 10 years later, they, they're unhappy, and they can't take it anymore, and next thing, is, it was an experiment, and then that's how it starts. She should have an honest, heart-to-heart conversation, make him be totally honest, and then see what the answer is, and see if it's something she can deal with or not. But that's, right, I'm just curious as a lie. Here's, here's what Dear Abby said. I took your question to an expert on the subject of adult entertainment viewing, Larry Flynn. He said, while curiosity is normal, not many heterosexual men make a habit of viewing gay male porn sites. Mm-mm. He added that if your fiancé is a regular consumer of this kind of entertainment, he may have latent to homosexual tendencies. Mm-hmm. I'm going mm-hmm. to tell you why I'm going to give you this round, because I don't think you have to go to an expert to know. Curiosity yeah, you don't have to outsource. How are you going to go to Larry's? She's going to outsource. You don't have to do that. You know, 
I was I was curious about gelato before I ate it, and then I ate it. So with that being said, right. I do believe that right. he's being dishonest, and I'm with you like this, Nikki. It yes. starts, and then ten years down the road, he's going mm-hmm. to explore that curiosity, and I think he's being yes. dishonest, and I think she really needs to put their relationship on hold. Like you need to explore that curiosity and figure out what it means yeah. to you, because it makes me uncomfortable. And her to act like she's okay with it. I'm with you. You sent the wrong message. So I'm giving you that round. You take two, two, which means you are the winner of what would Nikki say? Dear Abby has not been able to get a single round. That last one, though, I was like, let's just call this what this is. It's from about right. Larry Flat was right. But I don't know why Dear Abby yeah. had to go to an expert on this one. That's common sense. <laughs> common, common sense. All right, everybody. There you go. Round of applause for Nikki. We're going to go to our champion and still undefeated. Yes, undefeated. We're going to go to our final round, which is where we talk inside. And there's one story in here. Speaking of homosexuality, interesting enough, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Michael B. Jordan, who is the actor that was in Creed, he was also in that awful reboot of Fantastic Four, recently did an interview with Vanity Fair along with the director that has directed Creed and Fruitvale Station. Uh Uh-huh. And everybody's upset about the picture that was featured. They feel that it had very much homosexual tendencies. Stupid. I can't wait to talk about this. I'll be curious because somehow it went right over my head. But we'll talk about it after our final break of the show. Everybody, you're tuned in to the Mario High. I'm Brian Seacrest. Me and Nikki Blaine. It's a smoking gun. And we're going to pull the trigger when we come back. Everybody, stay tuned. Much more. 
it was it was a dumb move. We know that, but we know that that Curtis loves Instagram. He loves it. He's addicted to it. Yeah. He's always posting. Yes, he is. So, yeah. So today's his day of court. We'll see what happens. If she buys, it was fake money. It was fake money. Real drugs. I swear to God, it was it wasn't Monopoly money, but it was real. It wasn't real. It was fake. I went to the, I cleaned out every dollar store in Staten Island. <laughs> Get rich and die lying, boy. You lying. <laughs> Get rich and die lying. Curtis is lying today. He's trying to come. He's lying. Listen, people, lay low when you got legal issues going on. I mean, I didn't put Cat Williams in the mix, but let me just go ahead and oh say Cat Williams needs yeah. intervention because his obviously he's got drug issues. So the first issue was in Jacksonville last week. He assaulted yes. a store clerk after she just threw some goggles at him. They were having an argument. Granted, they were saying the argument was with two women. What they didn't disclose was if he actually punched a woman if it was another store person. So he got that. He leaves. And then, I guess, gets into an altercation at a show he has. Um, but instead, he got stumped out. But he still got arrested. Cat Williams is too little. He's like Bruno Mars. Dude, you're too little to be exciting any yeah. kind of altercations with anybody. You're a little guy. It, and then he was, it, wasn't it like Beanie Siegel or like that crew? I'm like, what are you fighting them for? Yeah. Like, I'm like, what are you fighting them for? People who clearly, who don't just say they're hardcore, right. they really are hardcore. Right. You're Williams, you're they're going to stomp you out like you're a roach. Man, knock it off. Right. Pat Williams, to my, I remember a story about how he actually had um, adopted. I think at this point, somebody, if they're not legal age, somebody needs to remove the children from his custody because his decision-making yeah. leaves something to be desired. And he's just... On a spiral, he was trying to make a comeback. He's off the rails. He's, he's way he off, the, off rails. the rails. He's, yeah, he's he's. And then they just point, raided so his house, and then they raided his house and found drugs and guns and all of this. I'm like, it's just one thing after another. I'm like, every day you get in trouble. I've never seen such a thing. Like every day you get in trouble. Every single day there's an incident. Every day that's crazy. I know. I know. It's there's something about being relevant, but sometimes you gotta weigh out what being relevant means, and this is not the way to get pressed. This is this not, not good. Press for you. No. All right, no. another story out there that's got some controversial buzz to it, because we talked a bit about homosexuality in the last segment. Michael B. Jordan, who is an amazing black actor who I, I do yes. who was in Creed, who played Apollo Creed's illegitimate son. Um, that's going to mm-hmm. be the thing that made him a household name, but he's been in other things like that awful reboot of the Fantastic Four, which I'm sure he regrets. Fruitville Station. He's in The Wire. Been, he started on The Wire. Yeah. He started on the wire. So he's really kind of mm-hmm. exploded onto the Hollywood scene, getting some big roles. So, of course, him kind mm-hmm. of being the new it actor within the black community, Bandy Fair probably wants to say, we're not biased. We talk about everybody. <laughs> so they did an interview with Jordan um, about, you know, obviously his, his kind of new success in Hollywood. But they also had with him Ryan Coogler, who is a director who worked with him on Creed and Fruitville Station. And people, mm-hmm. not so much about the article, were upset. And mind you, most of the feedback about this came from people of color. It was black people. They felt the picture right, of, of Jordan and Kugler was channeling homosexuality because it was a picture. And just mind you, I didn't even see it until they said it. And I said, well. I didn't see it. I, and I, I still fall, don't see it. Let me say this. I see it. If I fall back into the recesses of my mind and allow things just to run amok, I can see it. But it's not what I saw when I first saw the picture. I didn't. But I'm like, let me see if, like, okay, yeah, it's a picture of, and mind you, they're both looking at, it's, it's, it's a medium shot, so it's tight. They're both mm-hmm. looking into the camera. It's a black and white picture, a very nice picture. So mm-hmm. Jordan is facing the camera. Kugler 
is is turned into Jordan, and Jordan is cupping cupping Kugler's head, and people are questioning. I don't understand the pose. I understand these two individuals, these two males have a positive relationship and they're working together, but it gave more than 300 responses on Facebook and Twitter, and it was all negative. People felt that it was a picture I, The ones I saw weren't, because when I saw it, everybody was like, what's wrong with the picture? And I was like, I don't see. It, it's, it looks like it probably would have been more of like my boy kind of thing and maybe an action shot, but they're not looking at each other and licking their lips or anything. I, I'm like, what I is said, wrong? Uh, well, with- i got to admit, the look on the look on Cougar's face kind of looks like he does like him cupping his head. It is a little much. No, they, uh, he, fist, no he just uh, looks, they, just, they look very serious. And this, is picture, this is my problem. This is my problem. Hey, bro. Just, we I, are so homophobic. Everything, like, it, you can't touch. I'm like, we're just so homophobic, and we just make things so look. negative. This is not, I, I didn't think anything it of it, and I don't think anything but, of it now. Okay, we're going to see what happens. I post this on my Facebook page. Let's just see what people think about it. Let's get the response, mainly from men, because as a woman, I didn't see it that way. But a man might men, be two men. I saw men, and they were like, what's wrong with it? They was like, that's a brother showing another brother, I got your back. My, like that, uh, Men were saying that. They were like, I don't see the problem. And I was, re- I was like, me either. Maybe well, these are younger people, because all the older men, people was like, I don't, so, I don't see it. Some men were like, cupping of heads with men is not exactly masculine. I'm just saying what people felt. All right. We'll let it out there. We'll post it to social media. I'll put it on my page, and you can tell me what you think. All right, that's it for this episode of the show. If you missed any of this show or other shows, you can always find podcasts here and in the iTunes store. Go to the podcast section and search Maya Akai Presents. Of course, my website, mayaakai.com, has everything related to the show. Nikki, if they'd like to rival your opinion on Michael B. Jordan or anything, I'll give you a compliment. Where can they find you on social media? I am Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter, the Nikki Braden on Instagram. You can pop on by NikkiBraden.com. That is my website. Um, enjoy the beautiful weather. We're still holding out with spring so far in Chicago. Enjoy the beautiful weather. And if you get the opportunity, as always, please do something nice. All right, everybody. We'll see you same time, same place on Friday, noon to 2 p.m. Everybody, Ooh. enjoy your hump day. Follow Maya on Twitter at The Maya Akai Show, on Instagram at Maya Akai, and friend her on Facebook. Social media is bringing us all closer together. The Maya Akai Show. Radio never looks so good. Eh, I'm going to retweet this.